0: Wow, amen and praise the Lord. What a beautiful chorus, simple and just a wonderful assurance that when we fall down, Christ is there to pick us up so that we can keep running the race that is set out for us in front. And now I want to pass the time to she brings a God's word to you this morning. Good morning, everyone. Well, COVID did indeed bring to an end all of our plans for our fifth Sunday combined services and everything that we love about them, the baptisms, the welcoming in of new members, um, infant dedications, and of course, the big celebratory lunch um, that we usually have afterwards. But thanks to the hardworking and brave Japanese Olympic organising committee, we didn't miss out on the Olympics. And so we can still go ahead with our theme for today and we've all enjoyed um, plenty of sport on TV over the last couple of weeks and I guess we'll continue to do so with the, the Paralympics now underway. There are many, many running races that make up the Olympic and the Paralympic Games but the king of them all would have to be the one that comes at the very end of the Olympic program And that is, of course, the marathon, that feat of physical endurance. A 42.2 kilometre run inspired by the legend of a Greek messenger who ran from the city of Marathon all the way to Athens to bring news of victory over the Persian army in 490 BC. The marathon has delivered to the world many great and memorable sporting moments, victories to be sure, But if there's one thing that the marathon has taught us over the years, it is that you don't need to cross the finish line first to be a winner. Consider the Los Angeles Olympic Games. The year is 1984 and can you believe it, it is the first time that the women's marathon event has actually been held, 1984, it's hard to believe. Previously, up until then, it had been considered that women weren't up to the challenge of this toughest of races. Temperatures on the day of the race were a pleasant 25 degrees Celsius, but the humidity on that day was an energy sapping 95%. Joan Benoit of the United States, of course, became the first woman in history to win the marathon. She finished the course about a minute and a half ahead of her nearest rival in two hours, 24 minutes and 52 seconds. But it is not the amazing performance of the gold medalist Joan Benoit that most people remember from this race. Nor is it the performance of the silver or the bronze medalists. The image that is burned into the minds of most people who watched that race, including myself as an 11-year-old girl watching that race, is of the runner in seventh place, 37 out of 44 who finished the race. Her name was Gabriella Anderson Scheiss, and she was representing Switzerland. And she staggered into the stadium in agony, and she proceeded to career all over the track at walking pace. Her legs were like jelly, and she looked on the brink of collapse. She also looked like a woman who had consumed way too much alcohol, but of course she hadn't. The medics rushed to her assistance and she shooed them away because she was determined not to be disqualified for having them attend to her. She set her eyes on the finish line and nothing was going to stop her. She had nothing left in her at the finish line. She fell over the finish line into the waiting arms of the medics and was carried away for treatment. But she proved, beyond all doubt, that women do indeed have the grit and the determination necessary to take on this toughest of running races. Or consider a little earlier, the 1968 Olympic Games. They were held in Mexico City. Now Mexico City is 2,240 metres above sea level. At about 1,500 metres above sea level, some people will start to experience symptoms of altitude sickness. So the choice of Mexico City as an Olympic host venue made for a somewhat unusual games. The high altitude caused records to tumble in the sprint and the jumps events. But for those in endurance events, like the marathon, the low oxygen made a very difficult event all the more harder. The competitors in the marathon event on that day were plagued by muscle cramps. Of the 75 competitors who began the race, 18 had pulled out by the midway point. The race was eventually won by Mamo Waldi from Ethiopia. But again, it is not the gold medal winner from this race that people remember. People are still talking about someone else from that race 50 years later. The 1968 Mexico City Marathon is remembered for a much more remarkable performance. Long after all the medals had been handed out and the evening played, the crowds began to disperse from the stadium and darkness fell on Mexico City. That's when the last runner hobbled towards the stadium. He was barely able to walk. He was like this as he entered the stadium. And word got around that there was still one competitor who had not yet completed the marathon. And the television crews were sent to investigate. Some of those who'd been in the stands and left to to go home returned and took their seats to cheer in this final competitor as he entered the stadium to complete the final lap. Barely able to walk at this point as he entered the stadium, the athlete broke into a slow and obviously very painful jog. Sensing that they were witnessing something remarkable at this point, what remained of the crowd, by now only 7,000 people left in the stadium, stood for a standing ovation for the entire circle of the stadium that he did. He crossed the finish line officially, in last place. The athlete's name was John Stephen Akari, and he was from Tanzania. He'd been able to, unable to complete altitude training in Tanzania, and so at the 19 kilometre mark of this marathon, he experienced severe cramping due to the altitude sickness. The cramping caused him to swerve suddenly, and he collided with other runners. He fell, he dislocated his knee, he injured his shoulder and he banged his head. Reporters dashed to the finish line to hear his story and one of them asked him why he had continued running after such an injury which had obviously caused him such great pain. And he replied simply, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Christian life is not a sprint race. It is far more like a marathon. And if the Christian life is like a marathon, then perhaps the words of a great marathon runner are a good starting place for us today. And I think if we were to rework those words for our particular race, then we might say something like this, my Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth to die on a cross for me merely to start the race. He came from heaven to earth and he died on a cross so that I could finish the race. Hebrews chapter 11 is a very well-known chapter of scripture that details many of the giants of the faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab and many others. They are like the marathon greats who persevered, who worked hard, who kept on going and finished their race well, in spite of sometimes seemingly insurmountable odds stacked against them. What was their secret? How did they do it? It certainly wasn't because of any great skill on their part, nor was it because they were particularly outstanding individuals. Moses couldn't speak well, and he had a murder on his record. Yet for 40 years, he led the people of God. Abraham was a liar, Rahab, she was a prostitute, David, and Adolf, another on his hands. Sarah doubted. The writer of Hebrews tells us exactly how they did it. They did it by faith. When you're standing on the edge of the Red Sea looking ahead of you and all you can see is water and behind you all you can hear is the thundering hooves and see plumes of dust flying into the air as Pharaoh's army approaches you and all around you are pointing fingers and grumbling voices accusing. When you're in that sort of situation, it is only by faith that you will prevail. All of these were commended, says the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40 read like this. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, would they be made perfect the ultimate victory for them as for us would be in Christ the focus of their faith was God and the promises he had made to them and those promises would be fulfilled in Christ so their victory like ours finds its expression in the victory of Christ over death their redemption like ours Is now complete in Him. The only difference is they've run their race. Their race is over and ours is not. And so we come to today's passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. You might like to follow along as I read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders Well, that great cloud of witnesses in verse 1 are those heroes of the faith mentioned in the previous chapter who have already finished their race. And they're not so much watching us as they are testifying to us and encouraging us by their example. From the Greek word that translates to English here as witness, we derive the English word martyr. The word means those who testify, bear witness by their example they testify to us of the faithfulness of God and the power of faith in him every single person in the list of greats from Hebrews 11 faced challenges the race set out for them wasn't always easy but these heroes of the faith learned to trust God to guide them through whatever came their way And so because we have all of these examples of how to run the race well, we're called to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And the ancient Greeks, it seemed, did exactly that in their Olympics. Little known Olympic fact, in the ancient Olympic Games, the competitors all competed naked. It's true completely starkers. The records of the likes of Dionysius, Plato and Homer, as well as many explicit drawings from the time, confirm this fact. And the origins of this practice have been variously attributed to a Spartan runner named Acanthus, another sprinter or who realised that the naked man could run faster than one who was impeded by a loincloth, and another unfortunate runner who had the bad luck of tripping over his own loincloth when it slipped down. And thereafter, a magistrate in charge of the games decreed that all athletes should compete naked, lest anyone else be impeded in their running by the garments that they were wearing. So it's not hard to imagine then where these words came from. The readers of this letter would have known exactly what the writer meant because that's what the athletes of the day did. If you wanted to run to the best of your ability, of course you were going to do it naked because that was the only way you could be sure that nothing was going to impede or slow you down or entangle you. Fortunately for all of us, lycra has since been invented, so there's no need to worry about your loincloth unraveling and impeding you on your weekend jog. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. In our little clip this morning, it was a great big watch that was weighing Blaine down. And although he wanted to run in a straight line and head towards the finish line, he found he just couldn't with the weight of that him to one side. If you are a Christian, then you're running a race right now. No matter how young in the faith you are, you're not in training for a race that will happen at some later time. Perhaps when you've lived life the way you want to live it and done all the things that you want to do and tried all the things you want to try. And maybe you're ready to think about what God might have for you when you reach 40 or 50 or 60 That's not how it works. There are no warm-up laps. So you can't hold on to those comfy warm tracksuits and sweatshirts because in a race they're going to impede you and they're going to hinder you from running your best race. If you are a Christian your race has already begun and so there is an urgent need to rid yourself of anything that might entangle or hinder your progress. What is it that is entangling you? What is it that's distracting you or pulling you off course in the race that is marked out for you? What is it that's taking you off course in your life as a believer? What are the things that tempt you to give up or that divert your focus from Jesus? Some of those things we call sin things that are just not consistent with the Christian life because they're outside of the will of God and contrary to his commands. And like Blaine's bulky watch in the clip that we saw earlier, those things need to be nailed to the cross. We need to confess them before Jesus, seek his forgiveness and ask him to help us run the race without them. But there are other things that aren't so much sinful as they are just a hindrance or a distraction. A mobile phone, for example, is a fabulous little device that can bring the whole world to your fingertips. There's nothing inherently sinful about it. Sure, it can be the cause of sin if you decide to use it to download pornography or to organise some sort of illegal venture. But for the most part, it's just a very handy little device that allows you to keep up with the news, keep in contact with your friends, find out what the weather's going to be, make appointments, check your emails, listen to music, shop online, take photographs and a whole host of other useful things. But it can also easily become a distraction. I once read about a study where a group of Uh, young people were examined and their mobile phone usage was logged. And every time they checked Instagram, every time they made contact with friends, every time they looked something up on their mobile phones, the time was logged. And the time between their checking was also logged. And what they found was that many of them couldn't go for long at all without having to check or touch the phone in some way. And so much time was logged on these phones that it was even surprising to them when it was presented to them at the end of the study. So whilst Blaine's watch in our video clip today might have represented sin, I think a mobile phone might be a good addition to that little clip as something that represents or can represent a distraction in our lives. And I'm sure you've all seen people you know, walking down the street and they're like this on their phones. And... People are having to scatter to move around and get away from them. Occasionally they bump into trees or or lampposts and sometimes they walk out into traffic as they're crossing the roads because they're so distracted with their mobile phones. Imagine trying to run a race like that, head down, looking at your phone the whole time. It is so easy for us to get caught up in everything our phones offer and I know because I do it myself at times But if these handy little devices are distracting us, when we start to find that we're spending more time on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or even immersed in the news than we are immersed in scriptures, then our devices could be becoming a hindrance that we need to throw off. Maybe a mobile phone isn't a particularly relevant example for you. Perhaps you have your device usage fully under control and well-balanced. Perhaps you don't even own a phone. But there will almost certainly be something else that you need to cast off. Daytime TV, an expensive hobby. Maybe you're a gym junkie and that soaks up all of your spare time. I don't know, but you will. The phone is just a very obvious example in our culture today. Whatever it is, set yourself some limits so that you can live your Christian life unhindered and run your best race. Now, the fact that we're told to run with perseverance tells us that the Christian life is not a sprint race. It's much more like an endurance race. And the Hebrew Christians were tempted to drop out because of persecution. And I'm sure that there are many of our brothers and sisters all around the world undergoing extreme persecution who in their darkest moments might also be tempted to give up for that reason. We might not face the same persecution, but many of us are nonetheless tempted to give up and drop out, particularly when the going gets tough. Run with perseverance, says the writer of Hebrews. Don't be tempted to give up. Each of us will face our own unique set of hardships because we all must run our own race, the race that has been marked out for us. And along the way, some of us are going to face relationship problems or financial hardships Some of us will meet with accidents or illness or have problems with our children or find that our loved one passes away. Some of us will be lonely. Some of us will be victims of crime. Some of us will know injustice and others will have their reputations tainted. Whatever the race is set before you, you are still called to run. Run like Gabriella Anderson-Shise who set her eyes on that finish line and persevered until she got there. She wasn't the most graceful runner to cross the finish line as she staggered this way and that on the verge of heat stroke. But she got there by fixing her eyes on that finishing line and just putting one foot in front of the other. Verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's both the beginning and the end of our race because our Christian life begins the moment we accept the salvation that is ours through his saving work on the cross and because it is he who will be there at the finish line to take us home. And we can trust him to lead us and guide us all the way because he has already run the race that was set out before him and he won for us victory over sin and death. So keep your eyes fixed on him because he's the perfect example for us of love and of obedience. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we won't grow weary and lose heart look to his example when the race seems hard and remember that what he has remember just what he has done and where he now sits glorified at the right hand of the throne of god jesus didn't come from heaven to earth for us to start the race he came from heaven to earth and he died on the cross so that we could finish the race In the Olympic Games, there can only be one winner for each event, one winner and two other medalists, the silver and the bronze, and everyone else walks away empty-handed, no matter how hard the race has been for them or how much they have overcome or pushed themselves to get to the finish line. But the Bible tells us that everyone who perseveres and finishes the race will receive eternal glory. Paul says to the Corinthians, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. For each of us, there will only be one race. It's not like the Olympics where if you don't make it the first time, You might get another shot at it when the next Olympics rolls around in four years. We each get only one life, so there is only one race. So fix your eyes on Jesus and do all you can do to run straight towards him. Throw off anything that might hinder you. Pace yourself. Remember, it's an endurance race. Give your spirit the fuel that it needs to run well. Immerse yourself in scriptures, spend time with God each day, place yourself under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as an athlete would place themselves under the guidance of a coach and remember that you do not run alone. In endurance events, whether it be running or cycling, the athletes will often form alliances And stick together in little groups for much of the race, or teams will often alternate who runs or rides out in the front and who benefits behind them from the slipstream. Christians are called to community for much the same reason so that we can spur one another on to go the distance and to finish the race well. Are you in the race? Christian life is not a spectator sport. You're either running or you're not running. And whether you are yet to commit your life to Christ and begin the race or whether you are already running, my question to you this morning is the same. What is it that's holding you back? Whatever it is, will you join me in prayer as we ask God to help us run the race? has set before us and to run it well. Father God, we thank you for the great many witnesses that have gone before us who show us what it means to run well. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus, for without his example of obedience and love, there wouldn't be a race for us to run. Father, this morning, there are only two groups of people listening, those who are yet to join the race and those who are already running. If you're listening this morning and are one who is yet to start the race, won't you ask God in the silence that follows to do for you what was done for Blaine in our video clip earlier this morning? Tell him what it is that is holding you back and ask him to remove that burden of sin and release those chains that bind you that you might be free. If you're already running, ask God to show you any sin or hindrance that is slowing you down or threatening to trip you up and ask him in the moment silence that follows to help you deal with it. Lord, we want to run well. Thank you for Jesus who has, by his victory, made victory and eternal glory possible for each one of us. Amen. We're going to join together in a moment and sing a song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. But first, let me bless you. So as we go out this week, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the one on whom our faith depends from start to finish. It is in his strength that we run with the assurance that he'll be there at the finish line to bring us home. Friends, keep on running. Support one another in the race. Go to the aid of any who stumble or fall and never, never give up. Amen.